Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socho in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Socho and Aziha. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you know how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. 
David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a fighting man since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came out and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his child, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was only a boy ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with stakes? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, with whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you 
into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran, ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, what a story. You know, the, the story of, this story of David and Goliath is so familiar that even those who've never ever picked up a Bible know it. And it reads really like a Hollywood movie, doesn't it? Like a sort of outline for a blockbuster. And it's so gripping that you can very easily miss some important moral and spiritual messages that are contained in it. The most important of these is that if you walk with God, he will equip you every day of your life to overcome the giants that the world and the flesh and the devil put in your way. But before we unpack this amazing story, let's just take a moment to pray. God our Father, as we contemplate the encounter between David and Goliath this morning, may it lead us to your son Jesus, the greatest giant killer of all. May each of us here today come to know him, to see him more clearly, to love him more dearly, and to follow him more nearly, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Many of us here, as Helen said in her prayers, are facing giants in our lives. Maybe you have a problem this morning that feels just too big for you to overcome. Our giants take different shapes and sizes, don't they? Yours could be a money giant, it could be a health giant, it could be an addiction giant, or it could be a relationship giant. These are just a few of the giants that we face. But the message of 1 Samuel 17 is if you think the world is overpowering you, then perhaps it's time you stopped fighting your battles with the world's weapons and put on the full armor that God has provided for you. Then you too will see your giants fall. Our story begins with two armies, one good and one bad, camped on opposite hillsides with a valley in between. And there's been a stalemate that's lasted 40 days and 40 nights. And you may wonder why one side hasn't, didn't kick things off by attacking the other. Well, it's because whoever dared to rush down into that valley and then clamber up the steep cliffs on the other side would undoubtedly suffer horrendous casualties. So each side was waiting for the other to start the attack. But in those days, nations had a way of avoiding the high costs of battle. They could pitch their strongest warrior against the strongest warrior of the, of the enemy. This avoided massive bloodshed, and the system worked fine as long as both sides agreed that the winner of the fight would be the winner of the war, and that the losing nation would forfeit all that they possessed 
and become the slaves of the winning nation. Well, that's how we meet Goliath, isn't it? A giant with an attitude. He's nine foot nine tall, fully armed, ironclad. He's the champion of the Philistines. He's a killing machine that has never, ever been beaten. And he's awesome. He's a big man with an even bigger mouth. Every single day, morning and evening, he taunts the army across the valley. Look at me, you little puny Jews. Are you really going to fight me? Who do you think you are? Look at me. Actually, it's King Saul who should have gone out against Goliath. You'll recall that Saul was one head taller, a head taller than any other Israelite. And he was a fearsome killing machine too. He'd, he'd just defeated the Am- Amalekites and wiped them out. But Saul was too scared to do anything. Why? Maybe it's because, as we read last week, after he disobeyed God, the Spirit of God departed from Saul. So he and his army, his entire army, were trembling on their side of the mountain. Now, we must remember that this isn't just any old army. These are God's chosen people. This is his holy nation. This is the army of those that would redeem the world. Yet every day for 40 days, they woke up to the sound of Goliath abusing them and telling them that they were just little, they were worthless. And every day when you and I wake up, whether we know it or not, we find ourselves in the midst of the battle, challenged by the one who, would, who seeks not only to extinguish the light of Christ in your life and mine, but who would destroy obedience to God's commandments in the world. If you allow him, Satan will speak into your ear every day, saying, look at me. I'm the one who's defeated you over and over again. Are you really going to fight me? Don't you know who I am? The Bible warns us of this daily battle. And it says, Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against the flesh and the blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. You'll find that in Ephesians chapter 6. It's because of this constant spiritual battle that we are all in, that we pray so often and so regularly here at St. John's. We study God's word and we pray. And we have our sins forgiven and we pray. And we share our burdens with one another and we pray. And we serve other people and we pray some more. And when you join us here or in any Bible preaching church and you join in study and fellowship and service and prayer, you too will discover, as so many of us have, that God is more interested in your future successes than in your past failures. Satan will always remind you of what you aren't, while God will always remind you of who you are. And you and I are beloved sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. 
the one who dwells in you through his Holy Spirit. And the Apostle John reminds us that the Spirit who is in you is greater than the Spirit who is in the world. But it took a a Spirit-filled young shepherd boy to remind the Israelites of this truth. David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I love the fact that he's a bit crazy. I mean, you have to be a bit crazy to run up against the big giant. But sometimes we have to be a little bit crazy if we're going to do what God calls us to do. David enters the story rather inauspiciously, doesn't he? While Goliath is shouting up there, up up to the hillside, and Saul and his troops are trembling, David's father, Jesse, tells the boy to go to the battlefront, find out how his brothers are doing, and take them some food. Now notice David is given a task that both he and his dad think is pretty ordinary. It's It's an errand. But that little errand, God has a plan for it. He's going to turn that errand into something extraordinary. The Bible teaches us if we're faithful and obedient in little things, God will entrust us with big things. And if David hadn't obeyed his dad on that day, in that little small job, he wouldn't have killed Goliath, would he? So we see David arriving at the battle lines to greet his brother, and the drama begins to unfold. If you've got your Bibles open, the drama begins to unfold in verse 20, as David, having left his flock behind, gets to the army camp carrying his food hamper, and he arrives just as the soldiers are marching out to battle, marching out to the battle lines. They're not in battle. And our text says they were shouting a war cry, a very feeble war cry it must have been, Because very soon afterwards, we see them all running back to the camp with their tails between their legs. Meanwhile, David leaves his brother's picnic hamper with the guy who looks after the provisions. And he goes out to the front line to greet his brothers. And he's chatting to them just as Goliath appears again, spouting all his nonsense, usual stream of abuse. Now you'd think that after 40 days and nights of being shouted at by Goliath, they'd be used to to that noise, that sound that he makes. But no, the soldiers haven't got used to it. God's mighty army runs away from Goliath, runs back to the camp. You know, and this highlights for me how we can either approach this life with fear or with faith. The Israelite soldiers were living their lives in fear. David was living his life in faith. Now, back at the camp, David is listening with great interest to what the soldiers are saying. The king is going to give great wealth to the man who kills the giant, and he'll also give him his daughter in marriage, and he will exempt his his father's family from taxes. Wow. Then David asks some men standing near him, can you just tell me again what it is exactly that will be done for this man who kills the Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel. Who is, this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine anyway that he should defy the armies of the living God? Perhaps David is thinking, if I kill this monster, I'll be seriously rich and I'll get the girl. <laughs> but all this text really tells us 
is that David is not pursuing the glory of David, but he's pursuing the glory of God. What David wants the most is to put an end to the disgrace of Israel and an end to Goliath's blasphemous defiance of the armies of the living God. But David's curiosity has a strange effect on his brother. His brother Eliab, it says, burns with anger. And Eliab says to him, Why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is, and you've come down only to watch the the battle. Was Eliab really interested, do you think, in a few sheep? Did he really care? No, this was a big brother just putting his little brother down. In effect, he was saying, you're just a nobody. You know, go back to your sheep. And then he's ridiculing David's motivation, his motives. I wonder how many of us have got an Eliab in our lives. But notice David's reply to his brother. Very interesting, this. He could have answered angrily, but instead he says, Now, what have I done? Can't I even speak? And this is a wonderful example of Proverbs 51, which says a gentle answer turns away a harsh word. So a gentle, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Well, now King Saul gets wind of David's conversations and questions, and he has him brought uh, to to him. And notice how David uh, greets the king cheerfully, uh, only to be met by another wet blanket. He enters the king's presence saying, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. But the king replies, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a, a, a boy, and he's been a fighting man all, throughout his youth. Well, when you follow God's leading, you come against gatekeepers, don't you? Those in authority who ask, what makes you think you're qualified? And they may add that you're too young or too old or overqualified or underqualified or whatever. But see how David handles this kind of challenge. He focuses not on his past failures, but on his past successes. And he points out that he's fought battles against wild animals. And he says, he ends by saying, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, and that same God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, when when you win the little battles of your life and acknowledge that it was God who brought you through them, and then you can have faith that God will help you to win bigger battles and prepare you for the big battles. Because every, every time we win a small battle at one level, God is preparing us to win at a higher level. And next we see that Saul now, having said, okay, get on with it, Saul is now trying to equip David for battle. And how does he do it? It's, it verse, verses 38 and 39 say, Uh, Paul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a suit of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened the sword around his tunic and tried walking around. But he wasn't used to them. He couldn't move. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. 
You see what's happening here is that Saul is preparing to go to send David into battle as Saul would go into battle. Saul is trying to make David in Saul's image. But David is made in God's image. And you know what it feels like when you and I are trying to attempt something and you're trying to do something in your own way and, and someone, others come along and say, well, no, actually, you've got to do it like this and you've got to dress like that. And they do it with the best motives in the world, your relatives, your friends, your colleagues, your teachers. They're all trying to impart and enforce things on you but unwittingly, they're, they're actually trying to make you in their own image. But you weren't made in their image, you were made in God's image. God in his infinite creativity, his wonderful creative God, makes all of us wonderfully different. Yet still in his image, that's mysterious, not someone else's image. And we need to remember that whenever we're called upon to instruct or to mentor uh, other people, teach them, help them, that we're not there to make them replicas of ourselves, but to help them be become the very best thing that God has for them, the, the people God wants them to be. And so we arrive to the climax of our story, the moment we've all been waiting for, the encounter between David and Goliath. And the text tells us that having taken off his armor, that's, that so restricted his movements, David took up his staff and he chose some five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his, in his shepherd's pouch. Now, most of us would not go in against a fully armed enemy with a slingshot and a few pebbles. And our reading says that Goliath looked down at David and his little staff, and he shouted him. I can imagine Goliath's enormous voice booming and shouting, Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? And he cursed David. And he cursed him by his gods, who were no gods at all. And to this day, the giants and the bullies of this world, the dictators, the tyrants, the oligarchs, the mega-rich, with their gods, who are not gods at all, look down on God's people, look down on you and me, and despise us, and reject the God in whom we trust, and the meager resources that we have at our disposal. And I was thinking about David's meager resources, and it reminded me of those many occasions in the Bible when the servants of God had next to nothing to accomplish mighty deeds. I mean, think of it. David, okay, David had a stone to kill Goliath. Moses only had a little staff to work miracles before Pharaoh. Joshua used some horns uh, made, made of, uh, what were they made of? Uh, ram's horns to flatten the walls of Jericho. Samson had a, the jawbone of an ass, that's a funny one, to, with which he killed a thousand Philistines. Elisha only had a few drops of oil and multiplied them to provide generously for a starving widow and her son. And of course Jesus had two fishes, five loaves, two fishes, and fed five thousand The message to you and me this morning is that we must never underestimate the little that God has put in our hands. God will give you small things to accomplish great things.
And that is because, as Paul says, your faith, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Our littleness displays God's greatness. And after the sudden demise of Goliath, neither, neither David nor any Israelite really could claim the credit for the victory. And when you walk in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the, in, with the kind of obedience that he, he had for his father, your meager resources will be multiplied. Miracles will happen. Battles will be won. But you won't take the credit for any of it because you know that without him, you would have achieved nothing. If God had not been with you, as David, he was with David when David killed Goliath. Now, did you notice that as Goliath moved closer to attack David, the text tells us David ran quickly towards the battle lines to meet him. I love that. As I said earlier, I love the fact that he's a little crazy. Until now, each side had been waiting for the other side to do something. And here's David piling in their slingshot, swinging or blazing, whatever slingshots do. And it started me thinking how all too often we just wait for opportunities to come to us. We're very bad at this at church. We kind of hope people will come through our doors, you know, we can be nice to them. But waiting isn't enough. If we want to grow, we need to go. We need to go where people are, where they play, where they work. And sometimes that means being a little crazy. It means running out onto the enemy's turf. And in verses 40, 46 and 47, David shouts, I love this shout, You come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Wow. We should go around talking like that. <laughs> But you see, David knew, he knew he wasn't going to be alone in his fight against Goliath. You know, and he looked at the situation with God's perspective. When others looked at Goliath, they saw a giant who could not be beaten. When David looked at Goliath, he saw a target too big to miss. I mean, that is a big man, big forehead, you know, slingshot, stone, aim, shoot, wallop, crash, bang. All over. Job done. Different perspective. But the lethal weapon that made David unique and that sets him apart from everyone else in the story and that gave him victory over the giant was not his slingshot, but his inner shield of faith, his spiritual armor. It is this spiritual armor that made him impervious to the Philistine project here. It, it, that, that, the project fear had paralyzed the army. It didn't paralyze David. It's a spiritual armor that made him deaf to discouragement and intimidation. It's his spiritual armor that gave him cool composure when everything else was chaos and falling apart. And that same spiritual armor is available to you and me. Every day, 
you and I, whether we admit it or not, wake up in a war zone. I mean, we may not yet have bullets flying around our heads, but as soon as we open our eyes, as we switch on the news, as we check what's going on, talk to our friends, we know that there's a war going on between good and evil. And this is the daily battle against the one that Jesus calls the prince of this world. It's the battle between the prince of this world and the citizens of the kingdom of Christ. And you and I, as we've already prayed, are up against a whole army of giants, the giant of debt that causes so much misery, giant of addiction that destroys so many promising lives, giant of pornography that degrades not only women but men and disrupts so many good relationships, the giant of Islamic extremism that sets out to destroy so many otherwise peaceful societies. And these are just a few. And you and I know in our hearts of hearts that we cannot defeat them with their own weapons. That's partly because, because of the words of the Apostle Paul that we read before. Our struggle is not just against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sadly, most of us go out into the battlefield every day woefully, badly equipped for spiritual combat. But thanks to God, he has provided us with spiritual weapons. And those weapons only take a few minutes, a few moments to put on every day. These weapons enable us to slay our giants. And you'll find them listed in Ephesians 6. And early next year, uh, here at St. John's, a whole series of sermons will be devoted to the armor of God, to Ephesians chapter 6, 13 to 18. But for now, I can't think of any better way of ending this sermon than by reading you the majestic words, reading with you, they're on the screen, the majestic words of Ephesians 6 verses 13 to 18. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people.